The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to the May 1st edition of the Colorado Equal Security Podcast. We're doing the newscast here, and this is Rob Reck with Alex. Hi, how are you doing, Alex? Hey, Rob. How's it going? Doing all right. What, can you believe we're in May? Uh, it doesn't look like May outside, that's for sure. We we got we definitely got a light storm this year and kind of reminded us, don't turn your sprinklers on until May, I, right? I had mine on and then I had to drain, drain them and yeah, lots of fun stuff. But yeah. I, I think we probably got... I don't know, close to a foot of snow at my house. Yeah, we we had a, around the same amount. It just didn't stick to the cement very much, so it didn't yeah. have to do any shoveling. Exactly. It, it's not very often that you get a foot of snow and don't have to shovel. Yeah. Got well, like that. You know, I, I guess we're officially a third of the way through the year. It's kind of kind of hard to believe. It is hard to believe. Um, yeah. It's also, uh, it, you know, Cinco de Mayo this week, mm. fun stuff, um, that, which is also my son and my wife's half birthday. Oh, nice. Fun stuff. So have have you accomplished a third of the things you wanted to get done in 2017? Oh, of course, most yeah. definitely. You? Uh, well, you know, I ha- hadn't really given it a lot of thought, but I think things are going fairly well. We're what, what 13 episodes into the podcast now, and uh, that's pretty good. Um, work's going pretty well. We're we're, we're on track. So I think 2017's been pretty good so far. Hopefully, the uh, second half of the year slows down a little bit, though. It's it's going too fast. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's dive into the news for for this week. Uh, top article this week: Denver is the number one best place to live. Yeah, and this is uh, you know a lot of times we get these lists, and it's from a um, I'll say a less than reputable place, so something you've never heard of before. Um, but this is from U.S. News and World Report, so that's um, you know a fairly big name. Yeah, uh, it was a, a good article, um, pretty short, but. Um, Denver number one, which is cool. Also, yeah. uh, Colorado Springs was number five. Yeah, so Colorado, you know, obviously a destination place to go, and lots of jobs, lots of qual- quality of living is great here. Um, number two on the list was Austin. What once again? So we see Austin on just about every list here with Denver. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, number three was Fayetteville, Arkansas. So that was a uh, maybe not not expected. Not expected. Yeah, uh, I, I have a friend that lives down in Arkansas, and he said it's uh, it's nicer than you would think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so number two uh, story we want to talk about this week is Oracle. Oracle is opening up a startup, an innovation center here in Denver. Yeah. So um, obviously Oracle, very big company. Um, I've been at very large companies before, slow and methodical, hard to to get innovation done, not necessarily new ideas coming forth. So that, I think they're trying to to get some um, some startup mentality as, as part of the company in Little Pockets. Yeah. So a few different focuses, right? They mentioned they're going to work on virtual reality, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, and, and cybersecurity as focuses for this internal startup. Yeah. And it's really cool to see that, that cybersecurity is one of those areas. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, maybe this gives someone a chance who, who wants to do startup entrepreneurial type work, but maybe doesn't want to do it in, in as high a risk environment as exactly. going starting their own company. So yeah. any, interesting stuff. Hopefully we'll have some jobs uh, coming up soon. We can talk about on this. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. So uh, third on the list, um, my favorite burrito restaurant, Chipotle, uh, suffered a, a payment card breach. Not a whole lot of details around yeah. what exactly happened. Um, but it, it looked like it was through, um, late March and, and April that they, they had some credit card numbers stolen. You know, four years ago, this would have been massive news, right? Having a, a, a payment card breach for a, a national retailer. But now we're, 
we're, we're pretty expect we come to expect it and um i don't think that a lot of questions uh, pop up out of this i guess the big news here is is chipotle has had just a terrible year right and and this kind of piles on to their their very bad year a whole lot of bad luck and bad decisions from them um Still good burritos, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we'll have to see if more details come out about, you know, number of cards and things like right. that. I haven't seen any of that information yeah. yet. But anyway, Chipotle is a, is a Colorado company, so uh, definitely relevant to the news here in the industry in, in Colorado. Um, and speaking of Colorado companies who maybe had not the best week, uh, Webroot had a, had a little bit of a misfire this week. Um, their antivirus started identifying some critical Windows system files as being malicious. Yeah, you know, you don't hear about that a lot anymore, but I think pretty much every major antivirus company has had this happen to them at one point. Um, you know, all the, the big players, Semantic, McAfee, all those those sorts of things, all of a sudden you hear, oh yeah, hey, we none of our computers work because the antivirus, you know, took out LSAS or something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly common thing. It's certainly embarrassing when it happens though. And, uh, you know, sir, it, it, this one generated a huge amount of, of media and, and coverage um, for what looks like from what I've heard, it took about 15 minutes for them to fix it. So, something yeah, I, like that. That's what I saw somewhere around that. Um, but I mean, even with that short amount of time uh, with a speed that clients check in these days and especially, uh, you know, web root being, uh, I think more a, a cloud based, you know, antivirus, they do, they do a lot of that processing that way. I think it's hmm. even more, even more critical for them. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I guess the, the good news is they responded quickly. They, um, they put out a press release kind of addressing what happened and being pretty transparent about it. So hopefully, you know, minimal damage for, for WebRoot. Yeah, I haven't seen how easy it was to recover from this, but, uh, you know, like on the client side, but uh, yeah. ho- hopefully everyone is back up and, and working. Um, so next, another local security company, Logarithm, was uh, named in, as a leader in this year's Forrester Wave for Security Intelligence. Yeah, and so... For the, Excuse me, security analytics platform. Oh, security analytics. Yes, very important. So uh, for those not familiar, Forrester is, is one of the big analyst companies along with Gartner. You know, Gartner does their magic quadrant um, to show who leaders are and, and Forrester does the wave. Yep. So it's similar but slightly different format. Um, so I, I think Logarithm was up there in leaders with um, IBM, RSA, and Splunk. Yep. So, g- so good for them. Yeah, congratulations to Logarithm yeah. on, on that. That's a great recognition. Yep, great product. Uh, ProtectWise, the other uh, security analytics company here and security operations company in Denver, um, they've announced a bring your own intelligence feature for their platform. Yeah, so I, I think more and more getting good security intelligence into platforms like this, um, you know, whether it's just simply, you know, blacklist, whitelist kind of things, um, or, you know, more detailed intelligence features uh, is important. And many of these things come with out of the box intelligence feeds and, you know, other standards that they use, but, you know, they've announced now that they'll accept, I don't want to say any, but, um, you know, other intelligence feeds that you can add into their product. And I wonder if that's just external or if you can do internal feeds as well to, uh, to start to get enriched from, from what's happening in your environment. Yeah, that's a good and question. Interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, obviously what this really allows them to do is have a broader um, range of what they can support and give you insight into. So so good for ProtectWise there. Yeah, good stuff. And then uh, next we had an announcement from SecureSet. This isn't actually a press release or anything like that, but um, you know, we've talked about SecureSet a lot. You know, they have sort of two pieces, one being the education piece and one being the 
uh, accelerator piece. And so they are now accepting applications for their accelerator. So if you're a startup in the cybersecurity area and uh, you want to be part of their accelerator, uh, you should go ahead and apply to that. Yeah. And, you know, they, they are headquartered here in Denver and there is a requirement for some portion of on-site, you know, living here in Denver, but they are talking to companies from all around the country, uh, bringing people in for, you know, just for the few weeks that they have to be here. Um, and then folks can do remote for, for some of the rest of it. Well, and I think with our, you know, gigantic global audience on this podcast, we should be able to attract lots of uh, startups to, to secure set. So anyway, if you, if you guys are interested in getting some, some resources to help with your startup, I think that's a pretty good place to look. Uh, so yeah, I also wanted to give a recap on the women in security event uh, that happened about two weeks ago. And I was out last week with, with the flu. Um, but, but when we had the women in security event really went well, it was actually at the secure set, um, office there in, in Rhino, uh, river North area in Denver. Um, and it was, it was just a really neat event. Thanks a lot to, to Sarah Avery and the rest of the, the group there who helped put this event on. Um, there was over a hundred women there just really getting to know each other, uh, networking, um, socializing. I, it was a little bit strange to be, you know, the guy in the room, um, there as, you know, as a representation for I, ISSA, I, I tried to get out of there as soon as I could after kicking the event off. Um, but really you could feel the, the powerful energy in the room and the people who, who really were, uh, who, who needed an event like this. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, this is the start of a, a real movement versus just a one-time event. Yeah. And I've spoken to, um, a few women that were there and I've gotten really good feedback from them. <laughs> They really enjoyed the event, so I, I think it's great that this got kicked off. Obviously, it was, it was very large in terms of the amount of people that were there, um, and, and also, I, mean, I think we had, what, 125 people register Yeah, that's where we cut it off, yeah. Um, and there were nearly that many that attended, yeah. so that, that's always a great sign, too. And so the next event is, is tentatively scheduled for June 29th. It's not up on the website yet, but um, I think that I think it's pretty much a go June 29th, so if you want to mark it on your calendar... Uh, we'll, of course, we'll be letting you guys know as we get closer when it's available for registration, um, but looking forward to that. Uh, speaking of events, this week there are two events here happening in town. SecureSet has an event on the 2nd, which is Tuesday evening which, around application security, kind of an introduction to AppSec. And then on May the 4th, um, of, of course, uh, Star Wars references on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. This is... Um, Colorado technology professionals, the, the future of technology, dark side versus light side. Um, so it, it looks sort of like a panel discussion with uh, some folks on the, the light side and quote dark side of, yeah. of security. Our, our friend Chris Roberts is, is going to be on there. And Chris is uh, one of the interviews that we have coming up. I think next week, maybe he's the feature interview on the podcast. So um, try and make it out this week and, and come listen to us next week. If you want to get to know more about Chris's background. Of course. Um, those are the only two events this week, but the week following, um, it is the culmination of the, yeah. the the announcements that we've had every week since the start of the podcast. Yeah. So uh, May 9th through 11th is the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. It's not too late to get signed up. Um, there's we great numbers of registration. We, we, we expect we're going to beat, you know, top a thousand people there in attendance this year. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff going on around the conference. You know, we've mentioned B-Sides every, uh, every week as well. And B-Sides happens the 12th and 13th. Um, but there's, there's all kinds of events happening in the evenings or, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night around the conference as vendors are all coming into town. A lot of good stuff to get to do. I've seen several happy hours or, or other sort of events like that. So if you're, whiskey if you, tasting, yeah, if you're, yeah. if you're the, you know, one or two people that aren't coming to RMISC, you can still come downtown in the evening and, and go to a happy hour or something else that's being put on. 
Yeah. So definitely looking forward to that. You know, make sure you're there Tuesday night at RMISC for Jeremiah Grossman's kickoff. Uh, Jeremiah, one of the, um, you know, one of the real founders, you know, initiators of the AppSec movement out there is going to talk to us about, you know, where security is now and where we need to be going. Uh, and then that's, that's just going to lead us off into a great conference. So hopefully you guys will be there a uh, week after this. It's going to be great. You have to be there. Uh, so that's it for the upcoming events. Uh, let's move on to jobs. So first on the list, uh, Spectrum. They're looking for a senior manager of network security ops. And so Spectrum is, um, I believe, the, the the new name for for Charter for one of the the pieces of Charter. Yeah, I know, I know they're associated. I didn't know it yeah. was it was uh, a, well, re, maybe a it's rebranded not portion, whatever. But yeah, telecommunication, right? Yep. And then Vail Resorts is hiring an enterprise program manager. Uh, this reports to Ian Buxton, who's the senior director of, of risk and security there. And from conversations with Ian, it looks like this is uh, is like a, a program, almost product manager, like really a, a change agent working with the business to understand what their needs are and help them work with security and get security integrated. Well, that sounds like fun. So next, uh, Deloitte is hiring a CASB manager. Cloud exit. Cloud access security broker. Exactly. So, um, if Casby obviously is one of the sort of emerging technologies around cloud and security. So, if, if you're interested in that and want to be more more involved in cloud security, this sounds like it could be a good opportunity. I assume you know focusing on Netscope, Sky High, you know our own local managed methods company here that that all do. You know, there's a lot of Casbys out there, but those are probably the big the big ones we're, we're talking about right now. Um, the uh, city and county of Denver is hiring an identity management associate. I assume that this is working for Steve Corey. I don't. I don't know that. Yeah, I I believe so. Uh, okay. In that that general area, uh, it, the uh, I put this one on here this week because you know last week and this week we're seeing lots and lots of jobs around uh, identity. So mm-hmm. definitely a good space to be in or thank, or move towards. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so Proofpoint, uh, they're a, a email security company that you know works with. You know, basically filtering inbound and outbound messages for for spam and um, and then for DLP on the way out. They're looking to hire a senior major accounts manager. Yeah, and, and Proofpoint, they're actually they're not located here, but I thought that was interesting that they're hiring uh, that type of position for Denver. I think they're a California based company. Yeah. Um, uh, next, uh, Excel Energy, a senior security analyst. So if you want to get into the uh, the utility industry, definitely yeah. would be fun. We've had a couple jobs from them in the past. DU, University of Denver, is hiring an adjunct faculty cybersecurity. Um, kind of an interesting idea, right? If, you, if you're interested in getting out there and, and starting a you know, professor career, um, this, is, this is a good opportunity. I'm, um, if I wasn't so busy, I'd probably look at doing this myself. Looks yeah. like fun. And that's, um, it's in the School of Engineering and Computer Science. So this looks like an, an undergrad position, whereas I've seen adjunct positions um, for them before where it's in the, the graduate programs, you know, for the, the working adult kind yeah. of uh, programs. Um, DCP Midstream, uh, oil and gas company here in town. They're looking for an IT security analyst five. Well, that's pretty good. Yes. So that, that must be an awesome job. You Are were... you sure it's not just a V? Well, it, it could be. <laughs> IT security analyst V? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so, so interesting stuff. Do you, do you know DCP Midstream? Uh, you know, I don't know if I know folks over there or not anymore. Okay. Um, anyway, it was a oil and gas, obviously, uh, a, a, one of the staple industries here in Denver and, um, lots of opportunities once you get in that industry to, to move around. Exactly. And then last on the list, 
Uh, Cisco, you may have heard of them. They are hiring a team lead for incident response. And they actually had a uh, a couple positions open. I think that they had a, a lower level incident response position open, but it seems like they're beefing up their incident response uh, team and the, they're doing trying to do it here in Denver. So do they have an office in town? Do you know? They do. They have an office in the tech center. Really? Uh, I think it's off Dry Creek on the east side of 25. Oh, all right. Yeah, somewhere over there. Anyway. Well, I, that's the end of the, the job postings for this week. Uh, any other news you wanted to go into? Uh, I don't think anything for me, you know, once again, we're one week away from Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. So if you haven't registered, you better. Sounds good. All right. Well, stick around. We're going to have the uh, feature interview with Cody Cornell. Cody is the the founder and CEO of Swimlane, a local security company here in Denver that does security automation for response to alerts and all kinds of good stuff. Sit around and learn about him. Uh, really interesting background. He did not come from your, your typical entrepreneur background. He's a security operations center guy, right? He sat in a sock and did security operations and said, Hey, I, I can think of a better way to do this and, and made a company to do it. So stick around and learn about that. Very interesting stuff. Definitely really cool. All right. You guys have a good one. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. This is Mike Benjamin, a big fan of Colorado security. This is Colorado equals security for Colorado security professionals and by Colorado security professionals. All right, this is Rob Reck, and, and I have the fortune today of being in the swim lane headquarters up in Louisville, Colorado. Um, and, I, and I have the, uh, the luck to get to sit down with their founder, Cody. Uh, Cody, why don't you just go to introduce yourself and uh, just tell us a little bit about who you are personally. Yeah, uh, Cody Cornell. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Swimline. Um, I myself have been in the security space for you know 10, going on 15 years, I guess. Yeah. Uh, lots of different capacities, but mostly around security operations. Sure. Uh, I've had the good fortune of you know working in the federal space as well as the commercial space, yeah. uh, mostly enterprise, and uh, you know helping build and deploy SOCs, uh, the technology that goes with you know helping. Managing, uh, you know, protect organizations, basically, be it SIM or Endpoint or whatever it might be. And, you know, started a consulting company in 2010, and that ended up evolving into uh, what is now Swimlane. Yeah. So, so, so earlier, uh, before we got going here recording, you mentioned that you were in the Coast Guard. Yeah. Let's go ahead and back up, right? Oh, wow. So talk, talk, let's talk about how, you, you know, you went from being in the Coast Guard, you mentioned you were in... Um, you were in Seattle and Petaluma, and I think you said Baltimore. Yeah, that's that correct. Right? Yep. Um, and so what happened after that? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in uh, rural Montana, eastern oh. Montana, um, with a huge desire to see the coast and live in the city. Uh, so the, the military was a very fast track to uh, see the coast. Uh, so I joined the Coast Guard, um, you know, obviously went through boot camp, but I uh, was stationed in a, actually a, an icebreaker in uh, Seattle. Uh, went through a school down in Petaluma outside of San Francisco. So an icebreaker, does that mean you're in a boat that, that went through like sheets of ice on the water and like... <laughs> Tell me about. I don't know much about this. Yeah, so uh, there, there's, you know, the Coast Guard only has was it three polar class icebreakers. I think only two of them are still left in operation. But uh, yeah, the Polar Star. We so we went from Seattle all the way down past Australia to Antarctica into McMurdo Station. There, breaking through, you know, twenty plus feet of ice. Um, I was just an engineer, so I mean, so, literally just worked in the engine room. So, uh, so not not very glamorous role, but uh, it, was, it was exciting. It was. So, are you breaking ice just because there's ice there? Is this why we climb? Same reason we climb Everest, or is it to let boats come in behind you? Exactly. Okay. So, um, you know, Coast Guard breaks a channel in for uh, like the fueling as well as uh, resupply. So, is this for like the Antarctica project? Yep. Yeah. So, oh. McMurdo Station is a big. I believe it's National Science Foundation mm -hmm. base. There's people there. I believe year around. Yeah. Uh, but they go in in the summer. Uh, most 
most years and you know basically break that channel in so they can bring and they do science on the way but they they break that channel in to do resupply that's great so, okay yeah see so i just got to learn something super interesting right there yeah <laughs> so yeah it was it was good for me right I, I got to see i expected to go around the world kind of you know as the equator is the belt and ended up going around the world kind of pull the pull ended up yeah. actually going north of alaska as well so but yeah, and then after that, went to A school for electronics, got stationed out in Baltimore. And that's really kind of where my, my IT career kind of kicked off, you know, taking classes at the community college at night, uh, doing Linux and Solaris administration while I was in the Coast Guard. That was kind of the, you know, uh, the, the beginning of what was ends up being my, my IT career. So. Okay. So you, how do you got, after you got out of the service, what was, uh, what was next for you? Sounds like IT. Yeah, so actually while I was even in the service, I had a part-time job, uh, you know, working in the, the D.C. metro area, uh, working for one of the defense contractors, you know, doing, you know, started out doing help desk work, uh, yeah. ended up doing Unix administration, uh, you know, big storage and imaging systems and things like that. Uh, so sh- sharing imagery between different agencies and things like that. And then I uh, got into security kind of right away after that. So system hardening and then become part of what was the big, you know, kind of DOD programs for vulnerability management vulnerability remediation and host-based intrusion prevention, so more, more commonly known as SCCVI, SCRI, and HPSS. Mm-hmm. Um, so we basically ran those programs for DISA as contractors uh, from a technical perspective, helping them you know, build, deploy, manage, document, test all of those different technologies as it relates to deploying them to all the different branches of the service. So, Very interesting. Okay. So that was uh, kind of a crash course in security for myself. Um, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of security expertise before that, but, you know, got to work with product vendors, got to work with the federal government, learned a lot about, you know, security hardening and requirements and all the fun things that come along with deploying, you know, tech at an enterprise scale. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So, so fast forward, what do you do next? Uh, so uh, after that, I spent time working uh, for down in Fort Huachuca in Arizona doing pen testing around mm-hmm. comm systems, uh, voice over IP. Uh, and then after that, I started uh, working at American Express. So we're oh, yeah. able to deploy. Phoenix? Uh, yeah, I'm in Phoenix. Um, you know, it was a really good kind of change for me moving from kind of the more federally centric, military centric type of, you know, security environments to a very corporate financial services centric sure. uh, situation. So worked there, helped deploy big, you know, host, host-based intrusion prevention uh, deployments, helped, you know, with some of the initial iterations of the SOC that they, they were putting together and kind of uh, transitioning uh, from their current current state to their future state. And then after that, I uh, worked for IBM uh, Global Business Services. So helping build SOCs for components of the DHS, yeah. uh, as well as helping them kind of build their federal uh, data center uh, offering, uh, which I, I'm not certain, but I think it's called Smart Cloud for Government now. So is that, it's all GovCl- uh, Fed, FedRAMP? Yeah, they're FedRAMP certified now. They they did all that work. I won't take any credit for the FedRAMP work they got done. But yeah, I believe they have a FedRAMP certification now. And uh, they offer, you know, cloud services as well as managed security services uh, for the federal government uh, out of their Boulder office uh, here. I think it's also multiple other locations. And so did, did IBM bring you to Colorado? Uh, yeah, so I left uh, left American Express, and uh, IBM was my first uh, you know engagement here in Colorado. I since I left and went out to the East Coast to hmm. start uh, my own company, and then come back to Arizona, and then back to Colorado. So all right, so so I won't, I won't <laughs> skip around. So uh, you were at IBM. What, what was next? You said next was going east. Yeah, I went east. That's when we started Phoenix State Security, which was a consulting company that I started uh, before Swimlane, uh, and that was basically providing you know security operations consulting. Uh, and security engineering consulting to federal government and commercial organizations. So basically giving them guidance on how to set up their operational procedures, optimization, that kind of work? Yeah, building the programs, right? So, you know, if it was 
data loss prevention or security operations or, you know, some of the first iterations around threat intelligence, you know, how do you staff for it? What are the procedures? What technologies do you use? How do you build it as a program yeah. more than, you know, how do you deploy the tech or how do you write the process? How do you kind of, how do you build it out as a program? And so, what, what year did you start Phoenix? Uh, that was in 2010. And how long did you run there? Uh, so I was, we... We actually spun Swimlane out of Phoenix State hmm. Security, so we actually started building it as part of that organization. Um, we formally spun it out in 2014. And so. then, and are you still associated with Phoenix? Does it still exist? Yeah, so the same co-founders that founded Phoenix State Security also founded Swimlane, so we kind of divided and conquered. Uh, Brian Kaffenbaum, the other co-founder of both organizations, now runs Phoenix State Security full-time, and I've been at the helm of Swimlane. So is Phoenix like a going concern that's you know still operational on yeah. the East Coast? Yeah. and? Okay. Yeah, they're headquartered out of Phoenix now, um, yeah. ironically enough. Um, uh, but yeah, they continue to grow. They continue to service both commercial and federal customers. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's an, another thing that I'm happy to see continue to move forward. And, you know, Brian's doing a really good job of you know, moving that organization forward and expanding its service offerings. And they're a great partner to, to Swimline. So they offer services around the, the product offering that we have. So 2010, you guys started Phoenix. Um, in 2014, you or somewhere before 2014, you identified this need mm-hmm. for swim lane for, and, and I don't, I'll short, quickly summarize for, you know, an automation, uh, an automated response capability. And you thought there, there's a product there that we, we could work on. How did you go from identifying a problem in a services company to deciding you were going to create a product company to, to address that problem? Yeah. I mean, the, the inception of the idea actually happened well before even Phoenix State Security. Brian and I actually met working at American Express in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, back, you know, well before 2010. Yeah. So, you know, when we were there, we were doing host-based intrusion prevention. We were also looking at a lot of other endpoint technologies that they were, you know, they were deploying. And from an operations perspective, a centralized management perspective, um, it was it was already a, something that we'd started discussing at that point. Um, when we were working inside of Phoenix Data Security, we competed with really large, well-established you know, organizations. And we looked at, you know, that kind of taking that concept and some of the things that we already started working on around automation, around particular technologies, and continuing to formalize that into a product um, as a differentiator, right? When you go head to head with very well established vendors, you have to have kind of really good differentiators. And that was kind of the first concepts around what, you know, we wanted from Swimline was to take the work that we'd already started, you know, probably back in 2008 and 2009, and drive it forward into a a formalized product. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you you had the idea, and I assume that you started doing some, you know, off the side of your desk work on uh, on trying to turn this into you know an offering, or maybe, maybe I shouldn't assume. How did you go from concept there to to hey, we're actually going to have a whole separate company that's dedicated to this? Yeah, we started building you know kind of components for existing products, you know, all the way back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, um, and really just. After having all those individual components, uh, we started looking at ways of centralizing, just yeah. centrally managing them. And as we started kind of evolving that concept, we realized that, you know, there's there's a need for the ability to do automation around the things that people normally do uh, from an oper- you know, from a security ops perspective. Yeah. So we started putting together requirements, trying to understand, you know, what the product would look like. Uh, at the point then, we didn't have the money in order to hire dedicated software developers. So yeah. uh, we got some work done from, from contractors on some of the stuff that we were doing. But then really 
you know, kind of went full bore uh, in, you know, 2013 and, and building that out. So am I correct in hearing from that that neither of you, neither of you as founders are really developers actually creating the product themselves? No, I mean, Brian and I have a lot of experience with, you know, dozens of different security technologies, mm-hmm. but uh, we knew that if we wanted to do this and do it successfully, that we would hire, you know, right. software developers from the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, when we started going down the path of so we're going to build a product, um, then, then we, we hired software developers to do that and we self-funded that out of out of that organization. So interesting to me, you know, where how did you make the decision that this product wouldn't would be its own separate company rather than, you know, one company that has a product arm and a services arm? Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, as, as and it's been a trial by fire for me as a founder, I, you know, I haven't done this before, so I'm learning as I go here. But there's one thing is you go out and try to learn to raise money or you look at partners is that, you know, the metrics associated with the success of a services company versus a product company are very different, sure. right? Uh, if you, you know, if you're generating revenues from services as a product company, it's a huge red flag for VCs and for, you know, angel investors and things like that. So having a wholly, you know, separated organization allowed us to run it, you know, as a product company without yeah. any ambiguity. Uh, so when we talk to people about the metrics, uh, you know, how our revenue was growing, there wasn't questions around, well, your revenue is growing, is that services? Right. Or, you know, did, did you win a services contract and you're hoping to sell the product? All the things that were happening inside of Swimlane were very product centric. It was software licensing. It was services around yeah. the product. So. And generally, you know, in, in the industry, a a product company with an annual recurring revenue model is is the ideal, right? That's where that's where you get the best multiples if you ever sell or or you know if you take on investment. That's where. And that's kind of that's kind of where where it is. You can it can really make the biggest difference too, right? right. It scales it scales a lot more easily and a lot more widely than services do. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. So so you 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 moved from um, you moved back from back east to Phoenix. I assume as. When you were before you started swim lanes, uh, yeah, we actually, you know, we moved Phoenix State Security from the East Coast, from the DC metro area mm-hmm. to Phoenix, and um, you know, and the concepts for swim lane along with that, and yeah. you know, we started, you know, really uh, kind of in, we had at that point we had the money we could invest in building the product. Yeah, up until then it was just conceptual. How, how did you get the money? Uh, Venture capital? No, proceeds from oh, the services company. Just revenue. Gotcha. Yep. yep. That's great. Bootstrapped. Yeah, so we bootstrapped for the first two and a half years. Uh, we didn't raise any outside capital until December of last year. Okay. Um, so we brought on our first, you know, sets of customers. Uh, obviously, our first round of hiring, uh, first product launch. All of those things come out of you know, kind of a bootstrap start. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, getting an enterprise product off the ground is, it's uh, not for the faint of heart yeah. and not for the cash strapped. I mean, you, you, there, there is a, a, an investment that has to happen right. uh, if you want to sell an enterprise product. Uh, and we naively thought we could do it. And, you know, we ended up, you know, successfully doing it, but uh, there was a lot of lessons learned along the way. So, <laughs> so you might not do it the exact same next time. Uh, in hindsight, I don't, I don't, in hindsight, I realized how crazy of an idea was to go and do it without having backing. So, so you're thinking next time you'd, you'd go get venture backing earlier on. Well, I don't know that I would have, you know, if I, you know, when I do this again, uh, there, there's an opportunity to, but th- th- I think there's a lot to be said for getting product market fit, uh, finding initial customers, yeah. really understanding what you're trying to accomplish before you go out and, you know, try to ask other people for money. Yeah. Um, I think if you've done it in the past, you're going to have a lot more success. Right. I mean, there's lots of people out there that have, you know, done this many, many Serial times. Serial entrepreneurs, yeah. And they, they can do that. And, uh, you know, a lot of respect for, for folks that have the credibility to raise money without a product or right. a customer or any revenue. Um, but I also think there's things that are 
learned that are valuable when you go in those conversations about you know doing it you know without any outside outside yeah. funding. You could probably make an argument the other way too. Yeah. So. so what what brought you to Denver? Why are you in Colorado? Uh, for us, you know, we were looking at hiring. Um, you know, I really like Phoenix. They have a great uh, tech community, but they don't have as strong a security community as mm-hmm. the Denver metro area. Uh, and in all honesty, and hopefully you don't take this the wrong way, we look at organizations like Ping and Logger them and those folks that hopefully will go public uh, soon, which creates a really good opportunity for recruiting. Um, so we kind of looked at uh, it's, it's the truth. That was what the that, big, that hurts a little bit. That was well, it's, it's it, it was the biggest driver for us, right? I mean, if you're trying to recruit and you're trying to keep your costs at a particular level, um, you could go to the Bay, you could go to Boston, you know. But going to Denver, where yeah. potentially there's literally hundreds of employees that are potentially available over the next 24 months, depending on the outcomes for those. Or, or so here's anything. how here's how I look at it. <laughs> We've created an ecosystem in Colorado where there's great security talent and there's a good there's a lot of security jobs and there's lots of opportunities for companies and people to find the right fit. That's I think I do think of it that way. I think it's no, a re- yeah, I think absolutely. it's a really strong thing. Right. Uh, but you don't need to recruit any of my people away. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do it on purpose. Um, no, I mean I think it's absolutely true. I mean organizations that know how to build and scale at those different phases of an organization's yeah. life are are invaluable. Right. And I mean it's in you know I myself was a security analyst for many years. It's one thing to be a practitioner inside of an organization and, and be successful there. That's another thing to kind of take that understanding and apply it to how you grow a business sure. and how that relates to marketing and go to market and sales and, and all those things. And some people transition through that really well. Um, but generally you have a lot more success recruiting those people if they've been through that process yeah, before. I, I totally agree. The, person, yeah. the, the people who get you from being a 20 person company to being a 150 person company yep. are not the same people that you, that want to take you from being 150 person to 2,000 person. It's it's really a, a different mindset, and people don't love both usually. Right. So it makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, so you know we've we've kind of alluded to it and kind of beat around the bush, but why don't you just kind of give me the you know the elevator pitch? What what is Swimlane? What do you do? What problem do you solve? Yeah, I mean Swimlane is really focused on you know the bottleneck that most organizations have from an operations perspective. I mean we have you know billions of dollars that are invested in uh, detection and prevention technology, huge investments being made in threat intelligence, um, and all of those are driving our ability to detect and prevent things. But uh, what it's still doing is generating a lot of alarms, a lot of tasks, a lot of work for people uh, from an operational perspective. Yeah. So. You know, as you look at how operations functions, there's an opportunity to take a lot of these high volume tasks and apply automation to them and to track and manage it and and to you know be able to you know provide metrics on how that's happening. So that's really what Swimlane is designed to do is to uh, take all the human effort that is happening from an ops perspective, be it sim alarms or phishing use cases or vulnerability management reports, and take the work off of you know the administrative work off the hands of the analyst and get that work done you know at real time at machine speed with lots of consistency uh, and you know allow our organizations to scale like can handle more alarms more alerts per per analyst or if you're a managed service provider hand, handle more customers so I'd, I'd love to I think I'll understand a little bit better as we dive into a couple of examples so could you give me an example you know maybe something like uh, a virus notification on the network what what might what might you guys do to help simplify like that kind of a response yeah, I mean, I think, you know, sample, you know, a piece of malware on an endpoint, you know, you get, you know, you get those alarms every day. Um, you can see them coming from a bunch of different vectors. But, you know, as you get in a malware alarm as as an analyst, you know, what are the 10 things that you're going to do, right? You're probably going to do some level of host forensic, what processes are running on that host? What's the registry look like? Um, I'm going to take that information from my downstream detection capability and bounce it off 
third-party, you know, uh, threat intelligence capabilities to say, hey, are there other processes I may be able to look for that are associated with this? Um, you know, are there other, you know, what are the other, you know, indicators of compromise that this threat actor might use if you have any type of, you know, threat actor information? And then leverage that information back into your environment to do search for other compromised hosts, uh, what C2 addresses they might connect it to. So all of these things are the things that analysts know they should be doing and are yeah. really, really doing right now via a bunch of different web portals, uh, command line prompt, yeah. um, and copy and pasting, right? So, so it sounds like what, what you might do is, Number one, we hope that an organization has matured their response processes far enough to have a, a checklist or an SOP that this is what we do when we when we get a virus definition, right? right? And then you take, if I'm getting this right, you take all of those discrete tasks and see how much you can automate to, to provide the feedback of, the, of what they would get from that, and they can make a decision with the data rather than... Uh, have to do all the work themselves to get it. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I mean, the data aggregation and collection is, is part of the process. Um, you know, implementing if you have existing standard procedures, I mean, that helps. Um, you can tailor Swimlane to, to meet your existing, you know, processes. Yeah. Um, or we can provide you with some basic, you know, it actually becomes fairly comprehensive, uh, you know, use cases and workflows for different uh, use cases that you might have. So, yeah, I mean, the idea is that that's, a, you know, training somebody to do that, understanding how the environment works, where to go look for that information, having permissions into each one of those tools, knowing how to run the queries against each one of those data sets to get the information back that I want, copying and pasting it into a ticket, sending out an email notification. That's all, you know, kind of high volume, but not really terribly complex yeah. um, if you have those guidelines. And that's really where Swimlane streamlines on. We, we do that automatically. Um, there's still an opportunity for that human component where you need them to make decisions and provide input, but there's not a... You know, if, if it's fully automatable based on the data set that you're receiving, you, you can run full automation against that. I, I like it. That it's, it sounds like you're not only do you do you help me get better scale, you also get more consistency yep. this way. Oh, I, I would get nervous that, you know, it's the same as always. It's really hard to automate everything, right? Right. And, and how do you, you know, deal with the variables that they're just going to change based on the incident? Do you have, Obviously, you just kind of take it as it comes, but any any overall guidance for um, how do you deal with the fact that that one virus situation might not be like the next one, that you know, there is going to be variance in between them, that generally we have a human just to see it and to parse it and deal with it? Yeah. Um, how, how, any general high-level guidance on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the way that Swimline is designed is to help kind of basically augment or replicate how analysts make decisions, right? So, I mean, it's the same question we ask, you know, when you get an alarm, right? What is the severity of this alarm? If you ask the analyst that, they're going to give you five or six different data points they're probably going to tell you about. Yeah. So, you know, what's the source? Do I know this source is bad? What was the attack vector? What, you know, what point in the kill chain are they in? Is this just early or is it late? Um, you know, what system is it affecting? Is it revenue generating? Is it have yeah. confidential information? Like all of those things go into that decision to say, is this important or not? And you can actually model that out in Swimlane. So as you're getting these different alarms and you can actually look at all these, you know, an analyst goes and looks somewhere for this information. They don't know every revenue generating server in the back of their mind. They have a spreadsheet they check. They go look at CMDB. They have some point of reference in which they go and make, you know, look a piece of information up in order to move this this, this task forward. And that's really what Swimlane does. Is, yeah. You know, if you have to go look at DHCP logs or go look at a DNS entry or look at Active Directory in order to make this decision, Swimlane will go do that for you. So, I mean, 
once again, what I really like here is it's going to force you to define what's it, what's important and what's not. You right. just you just came up with a dozen examples of questions one might ask that maybe we're asking, but maybe we haven't formally documented as being part of the criteria, right? right. In order for swim lane to be effective, we're going to have to document those. We're going to have to think it through. And, and hopefully we go get buy-in from other people that, yeah, this formula makes sense yeah. so that when you get an alert, um, there's credibility. There's credibility to that alert, right? Because, hey, we, we agree as a team that these are the things that are important to us as a company. Right. I really like that. Um, so this sounds, this sounds good. It makes sense. How do, you, how do you define success when you go into a customer? You know, someone bought off on this whole thing, you know, we, sales pitch, and I, and I said, yeah, I want to implement that. Uh, you're going to walk in the door, and what, what kind of value are you going to deliver, you know, 90 days in, uh, one year in? How, how do you think about that? Yeah, and that, that's actually a really interesting thing about Swimlane versus and, and other products in our space uh, versus your standard detection and prevention, uh, you know, products that are sold is that a lot of time what you're talking about when you're selling a, a prevention technology is, you know, like kind of a qualitative protection of the brand and, you know, you know, maybe what might be, you know, the cost associated if you were breached. The thing that's interesting about doing automation around operations is there there's a tangible value to saving people time. Yeah. So, you know, even inside of Swimlane, we actually track every time we do an action on your behalf, we track how much time that saves you. And you can actually, you know, tailor that. So if sending an email takes you three minutes, if doing a threat intel query takes you 45 seconds, if it takes you two minutes to look up, uh, you know, a user in your identity management system, all of those are, you know, those are things that you would normally have to do by hand that we can quantify. And then you can assign a dollar value to it. What, what is the average salary of your security analyst? Yeah. And all of a sudden, when you're doing thousands and thousands of things for people in an hour that they would normally have to do by hand, the, the metrics become very, very compelling. You know, I'm offsetting, you know, the number of FTEs I have to hire to run my SOC, right. um, reducing the amount of OPEX I have to spend on staff in order to run my managed service. Um, I'm doing more, you know, I'm get, I mean, and then there's the qualitative stuff around maturity and, you know, comprehensive capabilities and, you know, all the things that come along with, you know, getting better at your job, but there's, there is a tangible dollar savings. Yeah, that's great. And, and do you make that, did I hear you say you're, you're displaying that? Is that like in the portal? How's that work? Yeah, yeah, it's right in the portal. You can, you know, so you have basically where you define all of your different what we call workflow items. These are the actions that we're doing on your behalf. Um, you can tailor it to however much time you think it's saving you and how much money it would actually, and then it aggregates up and you can see a, yeah. a rolling, I love it. A, a rolling utility, you know, it. and there's part it's of it a is, a, is a marketing, uh, you know, renewals and all that fun stuff. Absolutely. But when people are trying to talk to their, you know, management, because, you know, doing automation is important. I need real time response. I need consistency. I need, I need, you know, I need to do these things. It's best for the business, but you're trying to quantify that from yeah. a, a business use case. And you can actually take them dollars over this last 45 day POC. We saved 80 grand. Yeah. I mean, th that and, really helps. And we got eight, or we got 80 grand worth of value that maybe, maybe we wouldn't have done those things because we didn't have much the time, more, right? Much more practical. And, and yeah. for, for me, you know, I, I'm probably not able to get everything done. I want to. So you guys are going to get it done consistently. And, and rather than me hiring a person, I'm able to get this this thing to do that person's job. I, I love I love it. And generally, as security leaders, we're pretty bad at translating security tools into dollars. Mm -hmm. And you're making it easy for us. So highly highly commend you guys for doing that. That's really neat. Yeah, it's it, you know, honestly self serving, but uh, I, I think it is. 
I, I think showing tangible value is something that's rare in the security yeah, space, which right. is which is nice, and it's uh, also tailorable. So obviously, if if it wasn't, then we would obviously be able to drive that cost way up. But the, the customers they, they configure that for themselves, and you know they come back to us and say, hey, we saved forty thousand dollars this month. Yeah, and that that goes a long ways in saying this is definitely worth the, the licensing we're paying yeah, for. Right? I think it's really neat. Um, what's your uh, where'd the name come from? Uh, for me, you know, it was basically about responsibility. So, I mean, if you've ever been in a SOC, you know, that you have people that do great jobs, and you have people that kind of maybe yeah. don't do such a great job, and having things that, you know, that's in your swim lane, that's your responsibility, um, was just kind of... It's a process, know, process, process diagram, right? right? Yeah. Process diagram where you have different individuals and different yep. columns, and their their swim lane shows everything they're supposed to do, and you're yep. you're basically automating everything in the SOC swim lane. Yep, exactly. And, you know, in you know, true startup fashion, it's easy to spell. Uh, we bought the domain for like 117 bucks. Congratulations. And, uh, you know, and, you know, it, it, it's not so specific that we can't do anything else. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I really like the name. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned to my wife I was coming up here to talk to you, and um, and she's and she and she started guessing what you did. She didn't get anywhere near it, but yeah. <laughs> but it, but it was fun anyway. Right. Um, and she'll be listening. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> um, you guys, are you guys a uh, software or a SaaS? Uh, we are a software platform, so generally it's deployed on prem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have customers that deploy into the cloud. Managed service though, or not a managed service? Manage no, we don't manage it. We have partners that uh, provide. Oh, oh, is, it, is it Phoenix Data? Uh, no, we actually have other partners that okay. are huge. So we have managed service uh, customers that are leveraging Swimlane to manage their you know dozens mm-hmm. of customers they have. We have a couple other that are that are coming on board. But yeah, I mean for them, if you look at the the business model for a managed service provider, OpEx is you know one of their biggest costs. So how how do I manage more customers with less people? Yeah. Automation is obviously a you know a really good way for them to do that. So for them, they're implementing automation as a mechanism to drive competitive advantage for themselves, uh, keep their costs down. But, you know, they do that because now they're centralizing a lot of the different uh, tools into one spot. Uh, I'll never say that Swimlane will be a single pane of glass. Someone's been trying to sell me a single pane of glass my entire career. You got a lot of single uh, panes of glass. Yeah, a lot of single <laughs> panes of glass out there. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, it's one thing to be able to manage a process from a PDF through 12 different tools, you know, my SIM, my endpoint, my threat intelligence, all these different things. It's another thing to train somebody how to use a single product to walk through a process. Yeah. And I think, you know, it starts, you know, again, consistency, but also driving down the the, the skill set, the specific, really niche skill set that's required to hire into those roles. Yeah. And the speed at which you can ramp them people up to be valuable inside your organization. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a couple more here. Um, what, is, what does, can you give me an example? I mean, you probably can't give the name. If you can give the name, great, but if you can't, no big deal. Give me an example of a customer who has implemented you and successfully, like you're really happy with that and what does it look like for them? How does it change their business? Yeah, so I mean, we, we have a Fortune customer that deployed the product. Um, they, you know, they have multiple kind of sub organizations inside of the, their their entity, and they're responsible for delivering you know SOC services across all those organizations and distributing the work, tracking what's going on. Uh, for them, you know, was is really burdensome, right? It's highly highly manual. So for them, they they're actually the customer that's saving between forty and fifty thousand yeah. dollars a month uh, through their deployment through implementing automation around you know, notification to the downstream customers, aggregating threat intelligence, uh, collecting information from their managed service provider. Um, you know, and that for them that, you know, that, that was, you know, they converted off a competing product, um, you know, very quickly and implemented it in the course of a few months, started saving lots and lots of money. And for them, it's more to your point is they're doing things that they wish they were doing before they didn't have the resources to sure. do. So, so you and I talked about this was a few weeks ago when we got on the phone. Um, 
it, who do you who do you consider to be the the right person, the ideal customer? Um, are you look? Is it enterprise size? Is it mid mid market? Who who should, who's listening right now? Who you think is the right person to give you a call? Where should they be? Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of a, a broader skill sh- shift that's happening in the you know the security ops space, more from system administration to network administration, uh, network administration, more to like your DevOps and right. you know type of function. So I think organizations that have kind of embraced that, mm-hmm. they you know I, I know all the things that I want to do, I know I'm not getting to them, but I'm willing to put in a little bit of effort to kind of tie them all together to see a, a broader value. Automate all the things, right? Automate if, all the. If things. that's what your yeah. if that's what your ops people are saying, yeah, yeah. or if you're just, you know, if you have an appetite to do more with less, um, you know, some organizations say, oh, I don't have my processes down. And I don't yeah. think that, that that's really a, uh, that should keep you from doing this. I mean, there, the, once you centralize it, you can report on, you understand what you're spending your time on. There's an opportunity to more tactically go after what's going to provide you the most value. Yeah. So I think an organization that's invested in monitoring, uh, that sees value in responding in a timely fashion and knows they want to mature the consistency and delivery and scalability of their people in their operations are great candidates for, for orchestration and sure. automation. So. Uh, if you don't mind, I want to kind of change the topic a little bit to talk just about running a company right. and a little bit about that side of things. Um, you you referenced it earlier, and I, I think in the first episode of the podcast, I reported on it. Uh, you guys took a round of funding at la- late last year. Was it was it four million? Uh, yeah, we we uh, we've taken a total. So that we announced all of our funding to date. So it was a total of six million dollars okay. in funding. Uh, at that time, we had uh, taken on an additional three million dollars okay. in equity. Um, and yeah. how, how, tell me about that. Like, how, how did because you've never done it before in your career at all, right? No. Raising, I mean, fundraising is. That's a full-time job for some. It is for a lot of CEOs. It is a yeah, no, yeah, it, absolutely. So uh, I, I've talked to over a hundred VCs and angel groups and yeah. you know high net worth individuals uh, before I raised money. And the piece of advice that I got really early in this process was you'll end up raising money from somebody you know, and that was actually the circumstances that uh, for us. Huh. So we ended up raising from a from an individual uh, who was previously a customer uh, that ended up you know being our investor, and you know for us that's been really great. I mean, he's been a, a great addition to our board and. and provides a lot of value to us. So so uh, tell me about your board. I, I was, that was going to be the next question yep. for me. What's that look like? Yeah, so we have a three-person board, uh, myself, the other co-founder, and our investor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that's really how it works. You know, obviously raised our money in December, so uh, we've, you know, had one board meeting to date and, you know, still kind of trying to figure out exactly how, how we want that cadence to work. But yeah. um, it's good. I mean, it's worked out really well, and, you know, we're kind of excited about what that has, you know, enabled us to do uh, in our space. Obviously, there's a lot of money being invested into the orchestration space. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, competitors coming into the market, a lot of people marketing kind of collaterally into the space. Uh, and as, you know, not being the, the big guy in the room, that's always nerve-wracking. But on the flip side, you know, we got started early. Uh, we built a product that was for, you know, kind of by analysts, for analysts. So we compete really well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think the kind of the success of all of our competitors is actually helping us out because of all the marketing and awareness that's happening around us as well. So. Yeah. So when you think of bringing a person on your board, obviously it, it's kind of a given generally when when you take funding that that will often come along with a board seat. Um, but what is it you're what is it you want to get out of a board member? You know, obviously there's there's money in that case, but more broadly, if you know if you if you are you, if you're looking to to enlarge your board, what would the purpose of it be? Uh, I'd love to hear how you think about that. Yeah, I, mean, I think for you're crazy enough to look at it, you know, from an enablement perspective. You know, how, how does this person help you solve the challenges that you have 
and not just now, but you know you're going to have as you continue to execute against your plan. Yeah. So, you know, if it's, you know, go-to-market strategic partnerships or recruiting or future fundraising or, uh, I mean, there's just a whole litany of things that in and to themselves are huge hurdles that you're going to have to yeah. be able to overcome, you know, in any given year. And finding people that can actually, you know, tell you how they've done that, uh, they have the network to help you get that done, uh, is invaluable. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, every one of those things from recruiting to go to market to finding new customers to building out your executive management team to product management, all of those individually are terribly hard jobs. Um, getting help, getting yeah. those things done and done well, avoiding the common, you know, pitfalls that you don't know if you haven't done it yourself before yeah. will save you time, money, hair, everything. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I have no hair. For the record, I have zero hair. This is, a, this is an audio-only podcast, so you can have as much hair as you want for the, yeah, for no. the sake of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, that's, are you thinking, is, is three where you want to be for now? Do you have plans to expand your board? Um, I think right now it works out really well for us. Yeah. Um, it gives us, you know, there's uh, enough people to help, but not too many people that uh, it's hard to get consensus. Okay. Um, I think, you know, to your point, if you continue to raise money over time, right. um, that usually comes with board seats. Um, you know, there's obviously a kind of a delta between a strategic advisory board versus, you know, your formal corporate board. Sure. Um, you know, I think there's there's kind of ways to balance that out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think in all honesty, the people that really, really can help you are few and far between. Mm-hmm. And there's a really big demand for their time. They don't want to be on your strategic board. They want to be on your board. And I think if you have somebody of that caliber that can contribute at that level, um, having them on your board is valuable. Yeah. So, But it's always, you know, you're, you're also negotiating what rights they have and how that impacts the existing people and team. So um, it's, it's definitely not sunshines and rainbows all the way around. So... Well. Um, so, you know, you've been running a company. I, I, I think you said you were not the CEO for Phoenix Data Systems. Um, Brian, Brian is. Yeah, he is. Right? Um, but you've been running a company with him for seven years now, basically. Yep. What, what, what are some lessons you've learned out of that? Maybe I'd love to hear um, something that you're really proud of figuring out and maybe some relatively big failure you've had in, uh, over, those, over those years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Starting a company with somebody is, it's, it's a, you know, people always say it's a marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of thrown out there as cliche and, you know, just kind of a, a, a cheeky statement. But in all honesty, if you really mean it and you plan on building something of value, the person that you're building it with, you, you better trust as much as your spouse. And, you know, and, and because they, they will see all of your good sides and all of your bad sides and they will have a huge influence over what you're doing. So going into battle with somebody that you genuinely trust uh, and in almost every asset of your life because things come up. I mean, family things come up that they have to bail you out of. Right. And you are in it together financially and emotionally and, and things like that. So making sure that you're working and that doesn't just start with your co-founder. It's, you know, who you bring on your board and who you hire early. Right. I mean, there, there's... If you if you don't we're not working with people that are just as damn excited as you are, it's just going to be frustrating for you because right. you've put everything you got into it. So as soon as you find you know somebody's not doing that with you, it it's really really hard. Yeah. So um, I think some of the the pitfalls you know t- you know for us I think we took a we took a bite of the elephant like the whole elephant hmm. right at the beginning. You know building an enterprise product from scratch for enterprise customers with no outside money and not have done doing it before. Yeah. Way too ambitious. Hmm. 
I, in all honesty, it was, it was too ambitious. Start, start with something that you can show value and traction on that has potential, um, but doesn't require the, the multi-year lift of getting an enterprise product off the ground. Yeah. I think there's opportunities to, to scale there. Um, I think there's people that can do it from the beginning, but they also probably can raise money from the beginning. Um, if you're going to do this for the first time, pick something small you can get a lot of volume and traction on that you can show value on that has the potential to be much, much bigger as opposed to starting with the big thing. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's something that I, in hindsight, wish I would have done differently. Okay. A uh, couple questions about the community. Number one, for, for those who are currently leading security programs or maybe running a SOC, um, other than go by swim lane, what, what's the piece of advice you could give them to do better at their jobs? Um, you know, and I we touched on it earlier. If you if you are not experiencing the shift in skill set, skill set, um, go hire a developer for your sock. Yeah. Not teach a developer to not te- don't teach a security person to be a, a developer, but go hire a developer yeah. for your security team. I think the value that you'll drive out of having that skill set inside of your team is just totally immense and, and worth the investment, uh, regardless if you have an orchestration platform in your uh, in, in your Right. The portfolio of tools. Somebody who can see a problem and go create a solution to that problem. Somebody right? knows what it means to take information, manage it, pipe it from one place to another, normalize it. It's just this. It's it's really hard as a you know I don't have development skills and and doing that was always something that we wanted to accomplish in some of the you know, organizations that I was in and. We, I wish I'd have had that resource, and I see people that have it and have invested in it, and success that they drive out of that is, is just immense. Um, the other thing is that we, you know, we see a lot of people trying to do is start getting more value out of the investment that you've made in the existing things that you have. And as a vendor, this just sounds terribly hypocritical, but there's there's so many things that you could be doing with the just the base infrastructure components of your operating system operating system and network devices and open source intelligence resources and you know your you know FSI you know the different ISACs that are available yeah. there's just so much that you can be doing with without spending another nickel on another technology amen and we have two vendors in the room here yeah. so uh, I genuinely believe that, that that's you know something that I think people people can do and save themselves a lot of money yeah. I love shining things don't get me wrong um, but you know, I think a back to basics approach is, is still very, very important. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I had another interview recently where um, basically I think takeaway is if you can if you can go get rid of a third of your tools, you'll probably be better off for it. Right. Yeah. The, 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 the more focus you can give on fewer things, fewer, fewer high value, the critical things you can spend your time on and become the expert on, probably the better your security is going to be and, and the less money you spend, I think, right. at the end, too. Yeah, I mean, I I know it's not glamorous, but system hardening, system hardening, and vulnerability management, and you know, you know, good user provisioning and deprovisioning, and um, you know, just just all the hygiene things that they're not glamorous, yeah. but you know, time and time again, it's proven that those are the things that you know create a really good foundation for you to go out and do you know, analytics and, you know, threat intelligence and orchestration and all of these things. If you're not successful there, then all these other things are, they're nice to have, but they're, they're not going to provide as much value as they potentially could. You sound like someone who's read a lot of stigs in your career. I (laughs) have spent way, way too much time (laughs) with the stig. Uh, So, uh, okay. Uh, One more question for you. Uh, what do you? What advice do you have for those who are looking to break into security? Maybe a career changer or someone who's just come out of school. I I, I think it's a, you know from a economic perspective, it, it's a great thing to do. 
Um, Obviously, we talk about negative unemployment in the space, even through the recession. um, I think people with skills would receive multiple offers in a given week. Um, If you're looking to make a career change and get into cybersecurity, the nice thing is that there's a lot of resources that are available. You can self-teach yourself a lot. Obviously, there's value in certifications and formal education and things like that. But in order to get into the space, there's a lot of opportunity to be self-taught. And there's also a strong community of security people that, and you know, that are self-taught and they don't, don't, you don't have to have that formal training. You don't have to have that certification. If you can prove that you have the knowledge and the willingness to, you know, contribute and, you know, for the success of the organization, there's opportunity for you. And the career progression is very, very fast. Sure. So, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of opportunity right now. And there's people trying to help you out. I mean, there's lots of programs available at the federal level, at the state level. Yeah. Uh, hell, I even think there's vendors that are doing enablement that yeah. allows people to get into space just because there's such a shortage of, of people available. Yeah, and, and it, here just in Colorado, we have like the Colorado Springs ISSA chapter does Security Plus trainings for free or for 40 bucks, I think it is. Right. And they'll do CISSP trainings for 120 bucks for like an eight-week course. Right. There's all kinds of ways to get your get your feet wet there. What about uh, for Swinland? Are you guys hiring? You looking for any? Yeah, we're, we're hiring crying across the board. Uh, software development, um, field operations, which is basically deployment and delivery of Swimlane, uh, marketing and sales. Yeah. Um, we're actually doing some summer internships. So okay. we're hiring folks uh, in all the different departments for summer internships. So, yeah, uh, hiring all around. Just, go, uh, go to swimlane.com or do you have an email? Which is people uh, yeah, go to swimlane.com, check out the careers page. Uh, we list all the different roles that we have uh, available. So, yeah, yeah lots of stuff going on. And, uh, and then, obviously, partners, right? So we're always... You know, we're actually, you know, working on a partnership with Ping right now, um, you know, with some joint customers that we have, but, you know, would love to continue to expand uh, our, our integration footprint uh, locally as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we're an orchestration platform. Integration is our bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the more that we can add, the, the more opportunities we have to build use cases yeah. and value for, for our partners is great. And if you have systems that don't intercommunicate and aren't standards compliant, you guys are going to have a hard time working with them. So so it's probably probably a lot of incentive to make sure we're, we're, all, work, we're all talking to each other. Yeah, I mean, obviously in Integration happens really easy when you have, you know, robust APIs right. and good documentation. But, you know, not all products have that. And, you know, within Swimland, we've built a lot of – we haven't run into a technology we haven't been able to integrate. Oh, nice. That's so, great. I mean, we can connect lots of different ways. Yeah. Obviously, we love, APIs. you know, good APIs, right, <laughs> yeah. drivers, right? Uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't opportunities to work with, with technologies that don't have that currently. Yeah. Um, it, it is becoming table stakes, though. As a vendor, uh, much like the early 2000s where you had to have the web UI versus a fat client um, – Robust APIs is becoming yeah. very, very prominent in RFIs and RFPs, and I can and I can just you know echo that from the ping side too. API support is is bigger and bigger expectation for yep. customers. Yep. Um, well, it's been it's really been a pleasure. This has been a fun story, you know, and hopefully you know for those who hadn't heard of you guys, now now we can share the story of Swimlane and what you guys do and support you guys in the community. Um, anything? Any final things you wanna you wanna share with the community before we sign off? No, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm probably not the, the networker I should be. I, I really like the community here. Um, you know, we've, you know, thankfully have a lot of folks we've hired from locally. So we're, you know, starting to get a little bit more kind of brand recognition on the hiring yeah. front. But, you know, always happy to to engage with folks. Uh, we're pretty accessible. Yeah. Um, you know, let, let us know how we can help and, and be involved. So Sounds great. And we're going to get you you guys talking at an ISSA event sometime soon. And um, we'll uh, we'll. We'll get that all figured out and sent out to everybody. All right. Well, Cody, once again, thanks for your time. Hey, thanks, Rob. I appreciate right. you for having me out. 
Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.